0: Welcome to From the Valley Podcast. It is Thursday, the twenty fourth of January, two thousand and nineteen. This is episode twenty four of the podcast. Uh, Let's like to make a bit of announcement at the at the top of the podcast. Um, Just in this month alone, we've had a hundred listens, which has been really, really good. We've had two really uh, big podcasts that have generated quite a lot of listens, so we're up above six hundred and thirty listens at the moment. So. uh, if you're listening to this, please share away. Today, we've got uh, a great uh, a guest. Uh, she's a very good networker. Um, she's part of the BOTS uh, group that we uh, meet uh, once every fortnight uh, at uh, the Rock Lily Restaurant at Virginia. That's uh, the group headed up by Marcel Vogt, who's been on the podcast as well. So welcome along, Belinda Shaw.
1: Hi. Thanks, Tim, for having me. <laughs>
0: So, Belinda, sure, I guess the first thing I wanted to know is just tell us a bit, tell us the listeners a bit about what you do, how you help your clients, um, just your, a little bit around the processes and uh, that type of thing.
1: Okay. It's taken me a little while to figure out exactly where my niche sits and the things that I actually do best and, and how I can help most people and... I've worked out that it's in the goal setting and strategizing area that people get most results or best results when they're working with me. I seem to be able to tap into that part of them where we can tie in uh, their values with what they want to do with an emotional attachment to an outcome and have them get really awesome results as, as, a, um, as a result of, of following the system that I've put in place.
0: Excellent. So um, and how long, how long have you sort of been working in this sort of uh, I guess for yourself because obviously prior to, to working for yourself you are working for other employers and stuff like that. Uh, so when did that sort of start? When did you sort of make the decision to want to go out and like okay, I know I can help uh, you know I can help the businesses of the world. Uh, when did that sort of become a reality for you?
1: Helping people and helping businesses has always been part of my criteria, like for as long as I can remember. And uh, being able to now do that as a business owner and helping other business owners is just fantastic. So I've had my own business for three years and uh, in the very early days even, I was consistently doing the goal setting workshops and so forth and, and people that I've spoken to now have achieved amazing things from back then. Uh, I can give you an example if you'd like. Please, yeah. There's one lady who I spoke with when I was first starting out and I was was still just developing what I thought would be a reasonable way to tie together a goal-setting strategy, as in think of the end in mind and then engineer it backwards from that to work out what you've got to do today in order to make that happen. Well, she was going through a rather acrimonious divorce at the time and she wanted a a a home for her and her two girls to live in and uh just last year late last year she saw that dream come true so in two and a half years she focused fully on what she needed to do to um arrive at this place and it's she's living in the place that she wanted to be she's got her kids with her she's in a really great environment um close to the schools and everything that the kids go. it's absolutely perfect for her I told her that I had refined the system and she's going I don't know how you could possibly do that um because the system you had was already great but I said I promised her that it was even better
0: Yeah, excellent. Uh, fair enough. So, uh, tell us a bit about the, the name of the business. You haven't, we haven't sort of spout, sprouted that yet in the podcast. What, what's the current name uh, of the business that uh
1: – Once again, it has morphed. Um, Belinda Shore and Associates is is the name of my business. Um, but my uh, with my book writing, it's, it's com. Okay. Yeah. So, it's uh,
0: yeah, I-
1: I- interesting that I needed to have two different things. One for the goal setting and business aspect of it but the the author speaker Mm. presenting kind of thing is is quite different i think
0: and then i think uh previous to that um the business name was um no bs uh, belinda shaw business strategies or something similar (laughs) to that to that
1: well everybody knows what bs stands for so (laughs) it was that that was the premise behind it was the no bs business strategies was all about um you know cutting out the crap so that people could get a real nuts and bolts view on what they needed to do, and I called people on their BS all the time.
0: Mm. So, I mean, that to me, that sounded like a, a fairly good name as well. Uh, so, what was the, I guess, the rationale uh, behind retiring that name and then going to Belinda Shore and Associates? I guess as as how you wanted to be known.
1: Okay, um, there was a couple of reasons. First of all, when I when I initially started in business, I had been. I had spent a heck of a lot of time in the building industries and trades industries and that sort of thing and I assumed, and of course we all know what that does, um, I assumed that I would continue to work with men through the coaching process and in business coaching and so forth and that's actually not what happened. So the no BS thing I thought was a bit quirky and a bit interesting to work with blokey blokes but it, it just didn't really take off. Uh, with my current audience so I felt the need to to change so I did
0: oh, that makes sense um, and yeah you, obviously that's a, a you see lots of different types of businesses it doesn't have to necessarily be a, a solicitors firm or an accountant that uses associates but we are seeing people in the in the coaching space using speaker space using that as as uh, I guess a naming brand and associate so it, it's sort of it can have a nice ring to it, that is for sure. So Belinda, please tell us a bit about um, if you sort of dwell back further in your life a little bit, um, whereabouts were you born and uh, <coughs> where did you come from and what was your sort of family upbringing like?
1: Okay, well, okay, I was uh, I was actually born right here in Brisbane. Um, uh, I So a
0: Brisbane girl.
1: I'm a Brisbane girl, yeah. My mum still lives in our family home at Aspley where I grew up and um, yeah, it, it's I've lived other places but I've always come back it's uh, Brisbane's home to me and and, while my parents are still alive and happy to be here and happy to hang out with them as much as I can while they remember who I am (laughs) which is kind of nice my dad was absent quite a lot when I was a kid Uh, he was he was very heavily into motorsport and uh he ran his own business and i think i learned a what lot sort of, of the, business did he have he was a pharmacist so okay. he was a chemist so every time we got sick there was a either a flu injection or a pill or a, a medicine or some horrible ghastly thing that we had to take i um i i promised mum when i was growing up that she never had to worry about me becoming a drug addict <laughs> Because no. I, I, I hated all of those things that we, that you know, he, he got for us when we were kids. So it was
0: <laughs> Good.
1: never going to be a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. So brothers and sisters, do you have any brothers and sisters?
1: Two older brothers. Uh, my eldest brother actually died uh, 2001. Now he ended up with cancer and uh, died at the age of 40. So I'm figuring every day over that's a bonus.
0: Definitely. What, what type of cancer?
1: Uh, started out as bowel cancer and then it metastasised and yeah. anyway,
0: it's
1: so just
0: a yeah, yeah, nasty, nasty way to go. Yeah, definitely. Um, so no sisters then? No. No, okay. No, so no. Fair enough. So and other places that you lived apart from Brisbane, just a couple of those different places uh, that you
1: hung out in charleville for quite a while when i was a kid that Mm. was awesome uh melbourne love melbourne the cosmopolitan feel of melbourne it's always been very kind to me both personally and professionally i've had some great jobs in melbourne (laughs) and i know some wonderful wonderful people that live down there um and uh, for a while i lived on the gold coast which was kind of interesting that was in my gee would have been early 20s i think um and Mid, early to mid-twenties, anyway. Um, a very transient population down there, probably still is, but at the time it was kind of very much that way. That's when I first became involved with Rotaract, which was interesting. Mum said to me, oh, you're going away, you need to connect in with a nice bunch of people. So Rotaract was um, the place I went to do that and I, I met some really cool people there.
0: Excellent. So just having a look at, back at um, I, I do a bit of looking up, I guess, of the guests uh, before they come in.
1: (laughs) Oh, what have you found?
0: (laughs) Find out a bit about their background. So for about eight years in the 90s there, you're uh, working for a company called Tree Doctor Queensland. Um, Tell us a bit about that job. It says you were deep-rooted in the the history of the Australian arboriculture industry. Um, So tell us a bit about Tree Doctor.
1: Uh, Tree Doctor was a business that uh, my... Now, ex-husband and I operated together. He still operates it today. Um, Our our separation was my step out of the business. Um, It was really great. Uh, We both worked at a place um, that was a tree farm down on the Logan River. We met, we married, we you know started the business, Mm -hmm. traveled quite extensively with that uh, to the United States and the UK and so forth. A couple of times. So lots of traveling. That sounds. Yeah, it was fantastic. And then I established the International Society of Arboriculture Australian Chapter here. And uh, that was very, very interesting. So he then became the International Board of Directors Representative for Australia, which was a three-year tenure. So he he got to travel each year for the next three to the national conference and so forth. Um, So that was really interesting. That was probably one (coughs) of the most significant things I guess I've done. Mm. In in you know, being able to affect a whole industry.
0: Mm. So and did that sort of take off the the arboricultural industry that was that you guys that's set up you know with your sort of uh, um, you know beckoning I guess um, that sort of take off gets lots of members and and had and what were the the best way I guess that the that members were helped and that sort of thing.
1: Um, well, we did quite a lot of things. Uh, we we actually established a, a training arm to the Tree Doctor, and with yeah, excellent. that, that's
0: really good. Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: We figured that if um, if we taught our opposition to do better work, then it would raise the standards in the industry as a whole. Yeah. So that became really important to me theres isn't i'm like there's no point undercutting you know every industry you see that happen and people just go out of business left and right it just doesn't make sense whereas if you raise the standards of your competitors mm. so that they're on mm. a bit more of an even playing field then everybody can get you know a reasonable day's mm. pay for a reasonable day's work mm. um so yeah we brought people out from the states uh, to do with the business aspect, how to run better business, how to do better tree care work, because here in Australia the colleges were very limited at that mm. time about, you know, actual practical tree care mm. work. Uh, and yeah, so we, we, we just we had lots of people come out from all over the world and trained locals to do better.
0: That's really, really good. I mean we as an accountant, obviously we've we've had a few <coughs> arborist clients over the years, so I've seen how those businesses operate you know and how how long they can, um, how long they sort of last or can last and, and I've, I've seen some of their competitors over the years cut corners so it's, a, it's one of those things that it's, um, yeah there's always going to be some bad eggs that give sometimes the industry a bad name as well.
1: Yes, absolutely and uh, workplace health and safety is huge. You know, there's, there's no other business where you're swinging around from a tree on a rope with a mm. chainsaw hanging off your belt. Mm. You know, so safety is absolutely 100% focus all the time. It just has to be. Mm. And it, it, whether you're felling a tree between two homes or whether you're chunking it down in bits or, you know, it, whatever it is, workplace health and safety and
0: mm.
1: insurances, property insurances and that sort of thing, it's really, really important to be mindful of all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So when that sort of when that sort of finished around two thousand, what was the next thing that you got into, as, from a career point of view?
1: Um, <laughs> what did I do then? I think I I think I went to work with um, Dulux around about then. Uh, was one of my favourite jobs ever. I've always played with uh, colour and movement and you know all that kind of stuff. Firstly, in fashion and anything to do with I don't know things being attractive or made made better looking. I suppose so. Working for Dulux was an absolute dream job. I, I had the massive privilege of helping hundreds of people um, redecorate their homes and and their businesses. It was just it was the funnest if that's a word. It was it was the funnest job I've ever ever had. The people were amazing. Mm. The product was exceptionally good. Mm. Um, and we just got to hang out. I got to hang out and play with colour all day, every day. It was just brilliant.
0: So, and then – so that's um, – does that sort of lead into colour transformations? Yes. Yeah. Yes,
1: absolutely. So, um, from that went um, – let me think. I worked in their new market store, which was the prototype store for all the um, inspirations paint stores that are around Australia for now. For Dulux or for – Franchise – yeah, yep, yep. yeah, for Dulux. Um, So, when they sold off those franchises, um, I decided it was time to move on. Um, I still worked for Dulux, but I worked within the framework of Bunnings for a while. So, I got to help people in there with their colour and uh, product consultancy, really, Mm. making sure they were putting the right product on the right substrate and all that kind of thing. And um, trying to encourage people not to put... Red walls in teenagers' rooms and, and <laughs> things like that. Yeah. You know, let's put in a little bit of soft furnishings rather than a paint colour, but it was it was very interesting.
0: Mm. Is it something you've always been about a bit? The right sort of colour to you know give give the right sort of mood on on the way something is to look or how a business is to look or
1: absolutely yeah. Every colour has a vibration. Every colour has a meaning. Every colour um, gives people a sense of uh, some sort of feeling attached to a colour. Um,
0: uh, you, you've done it probably, from my recollection, with bots. You've probably done f- at least—I'd say—you've done three presentations over the last four years that you've, mm. you that uh, you presented to our our fantastic networking group. Was one of them about colours? I'm just trying to remember. Did you sort of say that this colour means this and this colour means this?
1: Quite possibly. Yeah. Quite possibly. There's also a um, a profiling system called C Zones, which I'm yeah. I'm writing. Co-writing, co-authoring the book with the lady who actually created this system. It's based on. Uh, she was actually a a, um, a what do you call it? A stylist, I suppose. And she was trained in Canada before it even became a thing here to have a, you know, someone go and do your wardrobe for you, your professional wardrobe or whatever. So she actually brought it to Australia, and she had she's reinvented a whole pile of. Uh, her knowledge about that. So it's not just about the colour, but it's about job preferences and, and you know, how somebody looks can tell you a whole lot about who they are. So I actually, I walk into a room these days, it's kind of funny, and I can profile people as I'm looking at them. So, so you, you, don't, profile, you don't have to ask them a
0: question. So you profile just, me, for example, what, what do you see when, when you sort of look at this room here, this office? Uh, what well, I'm wearing in, in I, my own red today, not always, but...
1: I okay. So I look at you and I think about um, how methodical you are with things, okay. and of course, people with numbers are often methodical anyway. Um, but you're a process person. The, the, you, you step through the processes, but you have the ability to tweak something halfway through if it's not quite working. If you don't think you're going to get the outcome that you need, you can you can tweak it. You don't have to yep. go all the way back to the beginning and reinvent the wheel to to continue okay. on with the process. Um, but you're also uh a bit of a historian you can remember oh i had that client about two and a half years ago and i remember blah 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 about them yep yeah
0: yeah definitely that's uh that's very very good (laughs) very good so it's um, kind of a
1: cool skill to have
0: yeah that is a cool skill to have so and and just to listeners i mean you did a presentation as recently as last friday uh to the bots group which i found really really interesting um Went fairly deep, I guess, the way I see it. It went very, very deep as far as getting people to think about lots of different words, in particular, and, and trying to work out where those words fit—whether that, that word's them or whether that word's not—and what are the what are your goals and how it all sort of meshes together. It was mm. very interesting and certainly um, someone that needs a bit of direction. And often we have people that need need something. They need a kick or they need need whatever it is i think you can really help um your systems that you've you've sort of researched and and you know created some of these things probably yourself as well Mm. um i think they're from what i can see i can see how they can help uh individuals also help uh, small businesses uh achieve something achieve their goals um i mean the early part of 2019 is definitely the right time to set these goals in motion i think um and that way you can continue to measure yourself throughout the year as to how are you achieving it break it down at every quarter as you said absolutely um, uh, as a way of doing it so um, you
1: know tim it's always the right time to set goals if mm. you haven't done them early in the year, then do them now. Do them next week. Do them, you know, next month. It doesn't matter when you do them. It's always the right time mm. to set some goals. Because if you don't set them, then a day turns into a week, turns into a month, and turns into another year, and you've still done nothing. Mm. So it's it's never the wrong time. You can't wait until, if you don't get it done by January 2019, you don't have to wait for another 12 months to set goals again. You can just do it any time. Mm.
0: So then you also, so you worked for Duelux, but you also worked for um, David Jones uh, about uh, eight or nine eight or nine years ago. Tell us about your time at David Jones and what your what sort of there was just a Chermside or Turnbull or somewhere. Tell us a bit about what uh, David Jones working there taught you, how was it working there and, and that type of thing.
1: I actually loved working at David Jones. Uh, I went there as a Christmas casual. I started at their Turnbull store just before it closed down. I was in the Manchester department once again, working with all those lovely coloured towels and everything. I became an expert at folding sheets. I have to say. <laughs> um,
0: so you could always get a job in, the, in a laundromat.
1: Oh yeah, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> no,
0: no.
1: I could, but no. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I started with uh, with the Manchester department. will closed down. I was asked to help and stay with the shutdown of the whole. Um, the whole shop, which was huge. My God, that was such a massive process. Everything, you know, packed up, boxed, shipped to stores all over Australia. Um, that was really interesting. And then I was invited by them to work at uh, at Tawong, So I became the resident foodie over at Toowong. Um Nobody had been in that department for probably six to seven months, I think they said, when I first started. And we managed to... Uh, get sales of significant times like so i think i went there through um and easter was the first one increased sales of their easter chocolates by 50 percent, and then by the time the christmas came around we were tracking way 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 above budget for that so then they renovated to wong the food was the first thing to went so hr said to me what do you want to do and i said well i think the only thing i've never done really is work in menswear and I said, I'd be really curious to be able to see a guy walking towards me and go, you're a size blah, blah, you need to wear this. Because I'd already had the profiling stuff in my background, you see? Right, yeah. So um, it was just the sizing and everything that I really wanted to get a handle on. So
0: So, did you become a suit specialist? Or what, what, I
1: did. I did. How exciting is that? I ended up at Chemside working in the menswear department. Initially, I was in uh, accessories. Um, sales-wise, I had two men's accessories like ties and cufflinks and wallets and hankies and stuff like that in the store top five. Wow I beat ladies fashion
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't think I beat ladies fragrance but you know two men's accessories in the store top five that was unheard of it's never been done before and it's never been done since so that was that was interesting and then I became our full time in the suit department
0: So we've uh, I guess David Jones suit you obviously very familiar what, what's your sort of take on do they, what they have there, and I'd imagine I've been there quite a few times. I mean, the quality that you get there is, is very good when it comes to suits. Um, tell us about whether you, how you, what you think of the actual quality of, of what they're actually selling and, and that type of thing.
1: There's one brand within David Jones that excels all others, and that's Anthony Squires. Okay. Anthony Squires is an Australian brand. It's been around since a very long time. Uh, We've outfitted every Australian male Prime Minister, bar one, since 1948. It's usually a bit of a quiz to see if our customers can figure out who that is. Mm -hmm. Any idea?
0: No, sorry. It would
1: have been Paul Keating. Oh, okay. Because he liked his Armanis and Xenias and all that sort of stuff. Oh, he
0: loved his fancy suits, didn't he? Yes, he did
1: indeed. So, uh, Anthony Squires, Australian company, still made under the control of of Australia, manufactured in Fiji these days, but great company. Um, And I guess it depends on what people want. I always try and match the person with the brand you know there's no point trying to fit a, a, a big guy in a skinny brand suit you know yeah, so exactly, I, yeah. I, to me as long as somebody feels good looks good feels confident in what they've got on then they can walk out the door and conquer the world yeah that's my mission
0: no that was really really good so you're there for in david jones for about four years obviously that was a fun job to have you sounded like you from from what you what we read and what you the way you sort of articulate it, you obviously achieved some really good uh, awards and that type of thing whilst you were sort of working mm. with David Jones and and from there um, I guess not far from after that, obviously what you're doing today, you know, so being uh, you know basically a, strate- a strategist, you know, consultant, mentor, guide. Uh, for small business, small medium businesses, and mm. there was a bit of a bent there, um, you know, for quite uh, quite some time. You know, looking at the the construction industry uh, and focusing on the tradies, uh, tradie talk. Tell us about tradie talk.
1: Oh, that was. Uh,
0: and is that still happening, or is that uh, something?
1: No, no, it's not. Um, it actually never quite got off the ground, but it was this great idea that I had that. Uh, you know, I would, I would ask people who have been in trades for a long time if you knew then what you know now, would you have still gone into business? Uh, what advice would you have for some of the young guns coming up through the industry these days? And if you had your time all over again, what would you do differently? Those were the three questions I was going to ask. And uh, anyway, it just never quite happened. But I still think it's a great idea. If somebody wants to do it, go right ahead. But uh, I think there's I think there's a wealth of knowledge out there that could be tapped into mm. that we're just totally missing the boat on.
0: I agree that the you I mean the small business construction industry here in South East, East Queensland in particular, and obviously other parts of Australia as well. You know there is there's lots of different types of trades that they obviously need a lot of assistance. Mm. Uh, we find it from an accounting and tax point of view. We see um, coaches like yourself who sort of try to help them get a bit more clarity, work out some some fort bubbles and some strategies as to how to grow their businesses if they want to go from a million turnover to three million turnover or whatever that, you know, mm. those increases are and what, what needs to happen in order to take yourself away uh, and, and sort of work on the business as opposed to working in the business. Um, it's it's definitely a lot of there's a lot of um, I guess hardworking uh, tradies that that um, for you know I guess for lack for a better word think they know it all themselves sometimes or, or want want to put their head in the sand and not focus on some of the things that they should.
1: They know how to do their job really 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 well. So they know their trade. They know it inside outside upside down. And it, wouldn't, it would be ridiculous of, of me or anybody else to try and tell them how to do their job better. But their job, depending on what they want for their business, if they want to become more of a business owner as opposed to a tradie, then they need to be able to take advice sometimes from people who know something a little bit more than what they do about the actual running of a business. And uh, sometimes they don't want to listen to that.
0: No, that's that's exactly uh, that can be right, but there there are you know there are a certain percentage there that do want to do all the right things to put themselves in the right stead as well. So there is, Absolutely. I can see there is a there's definitely a market there. It, it's it's definitely um, a tappable market to be able to 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 do that with with those, those types of clientele, and it's just a worry. Wor- it's just a I guess, you know, what strategies do we use to to make sure we try to get as many of of the clients' mindset sort of correct? Um, Okay, so, yeah, Um, tell us a bit about the, what you've been doing over the last 12 months in your business, so what what are some of the things that you've been, uh, I guess, um, achieving with your clients, Um, what sort of workshops have you you been running, Uh, who you've been working with, just tell us a bit about some of that, I guess.
1: Okay, so I've I've actually been pulling away a little bit from the one-on-one coaching. Whilst I love it and people have been getting great results, uh, I I actually find that my time is better spent when I'm in front of a small group of people. So one to many, if you like, um, I I find that six to twelve people in a room is fantastic because I can still have one-on-one time with them. I can do a coaching in a workshop or whatever if I need to, and everybody else in the room, under the cone of silence, of course, benefits from what that person is getting out of the session. Uh, I've been spending a lot more time doing the goal setting and planning and strategies around that, helping people develop their values around business. Val- the values is probably the thing that you got a lot of, out of, um, at the bots thingy last week.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, and whilst a lot of people don't necessarily use that as a, as a word in normal conversation, everybody has values. It's just a matter of let's work on ones and let's work with ones that are going to help us step up to the next thing. Um, and then let's tie some sort of emotional attachment to that. Do you want me to give you a bit of an example? Please, yeah, Sorry, okay. I, I don't want to confuse people. So one of my core values is progress, So the meaning that I give progress might be different to the meaning you give it. But to me, it means whenever I'm working on my business, I'm experiencing progress. The action for that for me is uh, if I'm standing in front of a group of people doing some training or some coaching or some goal setting strategies or whatever else, then that's me doing the thing. That's my action word. And then the feeling that I attach to that is passion. So I know that when I'm being passionate about what I'm doing, I'm actually experiencing progress, which is my core value. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah
1: there we go. So, the, And there's a stack of value words. Just Google them. And, and seriously, when I made progress, my core value, my business shifted in a huge way, huge way.
0: Excellent. Trust,
1: integrity, you know, blah, blah, blah. All those other kind of cool ones that people rattle off their tongues are great. But my my experience is most people in small business already embody those, so they're no longer going to challenge you. My quest is to now ask people to step up to embrace values that are bigger than those. Mm-hmm. Okay. That are going to help them go further.
0: Excellent. So, uh, and what about tell us a bit about the idea behind the book? Tell us what the the book title name is, if you if you're allowed to.
1: Of course, I can. Uh,
0: and also. Uh, when's that's get when that's getting released? And tell us a bit about the the launch.
1: Okay, so uh, I've been writing this book for about the last four months. It's called Building Resilience in a Harsh World, and uh, it's essentially the story of journal, I guess, of of my life and the experiences that I had when I was a kid about feeling abandoned and you know all that stuff that goes on with kids and families and school and
0: So you you felt abandoned as a kid so tell us
1: Uh, Well because dad wasn't there and all that sort of stuff and then other stuff happened that he should have protected me from and you know those kinds of things and then of course we end up with feelings of not being good enough, not being smart enough, not feeling like we fit in and all those fears step into our psyche and sometimes we unpack and live there and that's really quite sad so, in the book, I talk about all of the things that happened to me as I was growing up, and in all seriousness, my life is not unusual. It's not uncommon for the things that happened to me to have happened to other people. Uh, but I think the way I've overcome those things and the fact that I can now talk about it and have go through the forgiveness process and, and so forth, and apply those things also to business. Mm. You know, my favourite question is who's never failed and there's never any hands go up, Mm. but then who has succeeded and every hand goes up. Yeah. And so we've already got some sort of built-in resilience. Mm. You know, you fail, you find out why you fix it, you keep going. Mm -hmm. And we need to do that with life and in business.
0: So so writing a book, four months, to me, that I mean, that seems like a fairly must have been very busy four months in order to be able to write um, the book that's coming out. Um, I guess, what was the inspiration in order to, I guess, put uh, pen to paper, for lack of a better word?
1: Um, I think it was just my my journey of personal growth. I had gone through, I've, you know, in the last, since my brother died really in 2001, I've gone through so many different things and so much has happened that I just started journaling and started writing some things down and then I thought maybe just maybe somebody else might think that it would be helpful.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's definitely enough motivation to, yeah, I guess put pen to paper, you know, write your book and uh, I guess the thing that should be, you know, satisfying for when, uh, you know, the books are on the shelves or in Amazon ready to be downloaded, is the sense of it's in a sense of accomplishment isn't it isn't it a sense of accomplishment that i've this is one of the goals that i wanted to do it might, might have been on my bucket list even uh in life and now i've done it it's out there and i'm proud of it
1: absolutely and there's always going to be naysayers and there's always going to be somebody that's got a different opinion and that's fine but this is the journey of my life and this is how i've overcome certain things and everybody's going to have an opinion and quite frankly i don't care
0: yeah, and that's one thing I do, do like about you is definitely that you're, you know, you, you do block out the noise um, when it comes to opinions. Um, you've got your own ideas which are which are held true for you and, you know, you decide to do this or you decide to look like this or whatever. And that's people who just have to accept that that's the way it is that, it, well, if they care, that is.
1: Yeah, you know, but it wasn't always that way. Mm. I used to be quite intimidated by other people and I used to feel like I wasn't good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, you know, clever enough. Um, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. I didn't feel like I belonged at school because I was a, you know, I wasn't that smart. Um, I certainly wasn't good at sport or anything like that. And so, you know, all all this stuff clouds in on you until one day you go, you know what, this actually isn't my staff. Mm. Oh, I have an aunt who said has this quote: "No, I, I just love it. It's keep the ulcer in the right stomach. You know, you don't don't try and unload all of your crap onto me and expect me to take it on. That's never again. Been there, done that. Mm. I'm not playing that game anymore.
0: So it's a bit about the book. Still, um, tell us about. I guess anybody you want to sort of. I guess." That that's inspired you that you want to thank in relation to getting this book uh, done. Um, Just yeah, tell us a bit about some of those people if if you if it's a good opportunity to do that right now, I guess.
1: Thanks, Tim. Um, Well, there's I'm I'm I am working with a book coach, uh, Karen McTaggart from the I Am Academy. She's amazing as a book coach. She does this thing called a 90-day challenge. I didn't do that. She actually withdrew it shortly before I signed on with her. So I've, I've been going through a different process. But she does the 90-day challenge in which you write a whole book in 90 days. So she's amazing. Karen McTaggart from the IM Academy.
0: Interesting um, concept. Never heard of that one. But that sounds like, uh, sounds like it's, it's a way of, of pushing you to, to, to think, of, you know, I've got a deadline here. I've got 90 days. I've got to write a book.
1: Yes, but she, it's not just that. She gives mm. you everything. Everything is a step-by-step-by-step-by-step by step by step by step process. She's just got it so that anybody can... I mean, if I can do it, anybody can. So it's not it's not rocket science. None of it's rocket science. If you've got something to say, then she just makes it really easy to be able to put it on paper and, and say it. Mm. Uh, I've had a number of people... Uh, read through my book and and do testimonials of it, which I have been incredibly humbled and um, almost to a point of overwhelm with some of the responses that I've had so far, which will be printed in the front couple of pages of the book. It's been fantastic. Um, Who else would I like to thank? I would like to thank every person who ever mistreated me, ignored me, uh, dumped hatred upon me because without them this book wouldn't have been possible fair, I've also got to, yeah I've also got to thank my family my friends my mentors and my teachers um, I had I actually had a very inspirational meeting with somebody I've known for a long time we just spoke about him earlier Keith Abraham
0: yeah and I, uh, I met Keith Keith a long time ago but he's one of those guys that you can see that you want to get some some more out of him because he's an inspirational. He's, he's, the way he comes across, he's saying, well, this this is a guy I'd you know, like to be associated with. So tell us a bit, bit about the Keith Abraham story.
1: Uh, I met Keith firstly in, I'm going to show my age here, 1990 when I was living on the Gold Coast and um, I was in Rotaract down there. And we our, our district actually held the uh, International Rotaract Conference that year. Uh, there was four people involved in organising it, each one of them. Keith was one of them, uh, got a Paul Harris Fellowship Award for doing that. So that's the highest award that you can be given through Rotary. Um, They tried to get as many people as possible involved in um, participating and and being interactive in, in the actual conference. So I had the great privilege of standing up in front of a room of 450 people, from 40 different countries, some of whom couldn't even speak English, and I gave a thank you speech to one of our one of our guest speakers, which was just a fantastic experience. Um, public speaking, or you know, speaking from a platform, has never been something I've been afraid of, um, and I guess that was that has been my biggest audience to date. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But I, I reconnected with him recently, and I had a, a mentoring session with him back in uh, August. And some of the things he said to me just just locked in. Oh, you know, I, I just got locked and loaded after that conversation with him. So he, it was one of the best hours I've spent in mm. the last few years.
0: Excellent. That's great.
1: Oh, he's also writing the foreword for my book. Yeah.
0: Yes, I'm sure be, that's, that's certainly a favour in your cap to have uh, someone like Keith uh, writing a, a foreword for your book as well. So mm. well done for that. Thank you. Um, so other networking that you sort of do other other than bots now do you do bni i think or?
1: i am in bni yes so we, tell
0: me a little bit just a bit about the bni networking side of things and any other networking that um recent you know over the recent years i guess uh
1: bni you commit to weekly um it's
0: always a big commitment i find something that's weekly that you know yeah but, it, but it's routine i guess
1: it is routine. And because I was working Sunday, Monday for quite a long time in in that in, in a small retail job, I found that uh, going to a, a BNI and i meeting on a Tuesday morning actually set up the rest of the week for me to work on my business. And I was able to do that fairly solidly as a, as a result of that. So um, B&I has been very helpful to me in that regard. Um, I speak at a few women in business kind of events and, and women in business, I guess, is kind of a brand and I, I don't necessarily mean that as such but there's so many women's groups around now um, and I, I always get a kick out of going to those. There's so many really empowered and super funky women in Brisbane these days.
0: There definitely is. I mean, there, there's... It just in, it just even in our bots group, there's lots of them. I think. And oh, it's,
1: absolutely. It's,
0: you know, and that's and that's it's good that that's a very gender diverse uh, group of of networking there. Mm, but definitely, but women's groups, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I I've gone from working with tradies to predominantly working alongside women. There's there's still always a number of men in my audiences, but but by far it's outweighed by the ladies in the room so that's interesting
0: yeah very interesting so t- you obviously you said you're a Rotaract girl um, is, is sort of over the last 20 or so years have you, has Rotary ever been or any other sort of service organisation sort of been an option as far as um, doing more work with and joining that sort of thing Rotary
1: uh, not specifically I, I always found that um, professionally I was so busy doing other things that I you know it's a bit like the b and i now that I'm yeah. doing my yeah, of course, thing yeah, but yeah. you know time, time constraints on everybody these exactly. days really and when you've got a partner and family and goodness knows what else you, you you there's still only 24 hours in a day yes so I think we have to make them uh, work well for us
0: yeah, definitely that's that's right yeah um, so, what else was I going to say there? Any, anything else? You, tell us a bit about your you're going away next week, I think, uh, on Tuesday, you told me earlier, um, as the book's getting launched. Tell, tell, tell us where you're going, mm-hmm. what you're likely to see and what's likely to happen on your next uh, trip outside Australia.
1: Fantastic. I can't wait. I'm, I'm actually really excited. Uh, so, the book is due for launching on amazon.com.au within the next...
0: That's so the Australian site. <laughs> yes.
1: dot com. dot um, So there'll, there'll be a digital copy available in the next week, which is fantastic. Uh, I, my commitment is to get that done before I actually leave the country, so that way I don't have to worry about it while I'm away. The first three, I'm away for four weeks. The first three, I'm actually on a so that's tour. So pretty
0: much most of February. Or yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I fly. I fly Brisbane. Uh, Singapore. Singapore. Mumbai
0: so india mumbai tell us
1: india yeah can't wait have you, have met, you been
0: to india before no
1: okay. no but i've always wanted to go so i met this lady last year who uh has been going over there for six months of the year every year for the last 17 years
0: so half a life 17 years india correct out.
1: and she just loves it she just has fallen in love with the country fallen in love with the people so she she takes groups of uh women, Generally speaking for two to three weeks at a time on these tours of some of her favorite places in India and that's what I'm doing so three weeks I'm traveling around with her mainly up around Rajasthan and so forth we end up in New Delhi and <coughs> excuse me the last week I'm spending in New Delhi where I'm going to do my book launch So the plan is to get some... there'll be a
0: book launch over in in New Delhi?
1: Yes, yeah. So I'll be... uh, I'm I'm getting some books printed in somewhere over there Mm -hmm. through BNI Connection.
0: Okay.
1: Um, They'll be delivered to the um, place where we're staying in New Delhi and then I'll have some bookstores that I'll be going to and doing readings and signings and people will hopefully want to buy my book. How cool's that? And then I'll come home and I'll have a, a, a... proper launch here in Australia. So, there will be a
0: Brisbane launch as well?
1: Yes, there will. Sometime in March, I anticipate, but I haven't set a date for that yet.
0: Or a location.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, TBA.
0: (laughs) To be announced. Um, Excellent stuff. So, I guess going, looking towards your future, the rest of your your business life, um, that type of thing, what you want to achieve, have you sort of, you're the the goal setter yourself. You like to set, uh, help clients set goals. Uh, and that obviously can turn their you know, business lives into a success. After the book, what's next for you?
1: Probably another book. Um,
0: so you got a second book in you definitely?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I've already... In fact, I deleted the last two chapters of this book to become part of the next, the next book, book okay. which is going to be a bit more business-focused. This one is really a journal of how I have overcome a lot of crap that happened to me when I was growing so this, up. So, so the next one's got more with the of the business. Book, how many focus. pages
0: are we talking in the first book?
1: Oh, uh, it's actually a fairly short read. It's probably about 110, 112 okay. pages. So okay. yeah, it's just it's quite an easy read, but it's quite depthy.
0: Okay. Yeah. So um, there's another book in you and anything else that you're looking to try to achieve in the future yes. as well?
1: Okay. So the, in this next 12 months, my my plan is to have uh, done enough hours and earned enough uh, cash flow from speaking engagements to become a full member of the Professional Speakers Association of Australia and after that it's speak, write, travel, mm. do that. That's I, yeah. I have no constraints here. I don't have a partner. I don't have children so mm. I'm good to go. So yes. speak, write and travel is my three keywords.
0: So we've got two... Um Two speakers that, are, I guess, do that in a professional sort of manner, I guess, on the podcast. Kevin Ryan, you you know from Bots. Oh, yes. Um, very good at negotiating. Great presenter and uh, very good speaker as well. And also Matthew Burgess, the founder of uh, View Legal. Oh, yes. We had on the podcast. I'm not sure if you know Matthew. but uh, um, it, So there's definitely some people around uh, that can certainly help you, you know, on, on that sort of path. Certainly one one path that I, I was even contemplating myself probably uh, what, four four or five years ago was, was doing, you know, one of the people that I sort of got involved with who actually one of the, the B&I founders now, um, he's passed on, Jeff Kirkwood. you know Jeff? Oh,
1: yes, yes, yes.
0: So Jeff, Gentleman uh, Jeff. Gentleman Jeff. Um, it was very sad to hear that he'd, you know, passed away a few years ago, went to mm. his, his wake um, and so forth, but... Uh, you know, he was he he sort of had a system um, about being you know speaking internet you know internationally and on different seminars mm. and and that sort of thing. And he, I think he was a, one of the founders of the BNI or something like that. Um, so yeah. Um, and other than that, sort of, what? when do you see... Do you see a, retirement's not something you're sort of looking at? You're look, looking to always challenge yourself? <laughs> or is retirement a goal oh God, or not no. really? No,
1: not really. If I'm writing, speaking and travelling, I don't ever want to retire. Um, I, I guess... Just uh, living the good life. Well, when I was... A few years ago, I had to make some pretty big decisions and uh, I needed to find a career that I could do for the rest of my days regardless of whether I've found a new partner or not and it just so happens that this is it so i'm mm. um, i'm well and truly on my way to my desired life and loving every minute of it
0: mm. um what sort of uh, hobbies and that do you sort of have other than obviously you know work fulfilling your um work fulfilling your sort of uh you know day-to-day requirements is there anything in particular that you get up to uh, hobby-wise, um, sport, uh, <laughs> spare-time stuff?
1: Um, I'm – I'm not a great sports person, although I do love watching the tennis. <laughs> um, I – I love walking on the beach. I love walking full stop, but I I walk on the beach where possible, but I do um, walk around our neighbourhood probably at least five days a week, if not six, and then I go to the beach on Saturdays. Um, Exercise-wise, that's probably it. What was the other question? What do I like to do? Hobbies. Um, don't really have a lot of time for hobbies. Um, I do have ageing parents, though, so I do go to visit my dad. He lives in a nursing home these days, so I go okay. to visit with him as, as often as I can. That's usually fortnightly. Um, I don't really... Yeah, no, I'm not really...
0: TV shows, any particular TV shows that you get into or, or uh, mm. that... Series,
1: no <laughs> music. No. Oh, I I love music. I love live music. Uh, I actually what really love it. What type of music, Gen- dance, Gen- Do you
0: like? Is it all sort of types or any particular focus?
1: I'm actually very eclectic in my types of music yep. that I love. I can yep. I can listen to a little bit of everything, and I'm I'm not particularly offended by any music. Um, but even even a little bit of punk every now and again, I'm quite cool with. I don't know that I could listen to a whole album, but you know, I'm I'm quite happy to listen to different styles of things. Yeah.
0: Any particular favourite artists of music, or people that you sort of think, oh, well, I like to listen to what this this person's going to sing.
1: There's a lot of people these days who do things that are quite topical, which I which I like. Um, and I actually enjoy Barbara Streisand for that reason. She's mm. one bit more old school, but she has become quite politically vociferous, if you like, in, in her music. Um, I always, she has the most amazing voice, but I, I'm a bit of a sucker for musicals and things as well. You know, put The Sound of Music on and I'll sit down and watch it all day. Every day. It's a bit corny, I suppose, but um, I really do like, Musical theatre. I, I go. I spend quite a lot of time at QPAC.
0: Yeah, excellent. Um, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Belinda. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on. I, I know this is sort of a little bit timely with your book launch, uh, and that's one of the maybe one of the reasons I got you on the podcast to to sort of I guess uh, promote your book as well. Um, it's been certainly great to have you on. Any sort of final thoughts or or anything that you wanted to say before we sort of finish up here.
1: Uh, yeah our past doesn't have to equal our future we can start now and create a new life we can start now and create a new future we can start a, now and create a new ending um, we don't have to focus on what happened in the past particularly if it's a little bit doom and gloom life is so much more than that let's focus on the 97 percent, not the three percent
0: definitely good messaging and i can't wait to sort of have a look at your book and I'm hoping that the, the 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 cover and all that's going to be nice and colourful as well because that's you're a colour you're a colour lady. Uh, love it. and so it'll be very interesting to see or see that as well as obviously read the book as well. So thank thanks, you very Tim. much for your time. Uh, thanks, listeners. Um, we've got a long weekend coming up, and uh, what I'll be doing is listening to the Triple J's Hottest 100 on on Sunday, uh, on Sunday the 27th of Uh, January so it looks like there's some people coming around to the the house for that so it should be a great party and it's a long weekend Uh, we can obviously recover the next day Uh, so 24 episodes uh, of the podcast, thank you very much everybody and uh, uh, we'll uh, have another guest on within the next week or so, thank you